Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. That the creator of all the universe wanted you specifically. He wanted you. He wanted you to be forever with him. That's refreshing to the soul. If you feel like your life has no value, then you need to hear that message again. You need to receive that. He wants you. He values you. He sent his one and only son to die on the cross for you. He didn't need any of us. You are wanted, cherished, and highly valued in the eyes of God. Sometimes it can be hard to know and truly appreciate who God has made you to be. But as you'll learn in today's message, your life is beyond precious to the Lord. Pastor James encourages you that God loves you so much that he was willing to send his son to die for you. You've been bought with a price. Pastor James urges you to not take that truth lightly. Know that you are a treasure to behold in the eyes of God. He loves you. Now here's Pastor James in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. You read through the book of First Peter and you're just like, this is a different guy. He's the same guy, but man, you could tell that the, the Holy Spirit has been doing a work in and through this man. And here he is, a fisherman from Galilee, and the Lord uses him to write this letter. The Lord used him tremendously to start the church. And by all accounts, most people would disqualify him because he's just not the right guy. He doesn't have the pedigree. But the Lord's like, you're perfect. You're perfect. All that to say, just make yourself available to the Lord. You have no right to disqualify yourself. I don't know enough. You probably know something. You can probably minister and reach more people than what you think. Than what you think. So timeline-wise, this is happening right before uh, you had a madman running Rome at this point in time in not too long after this letter, when this was written, he's going to lose his mind even more so. I think he's demonically possessed, technically, but he's going to like set fire to Rome. He's going to set fire to Rome because, well, he, there's parts of Rome that like he wants to rebuild to reflect himself. Okay, you got a Colosseum that seats 100,000. No, no, it needs to be bigger. It needs to be 300,000. So we need to do some games there, which would ultimately lead to killing of Christians as a sport. So he sets fire to this place, but he needs a scapegoat. And the scapegoat is going to be these Christians, because they're weird people anyways, right? They're not for us. They're refusing to join the military because they won't pledge their allegiance to Nero as God. And then they're doing weird things. They're like, they're cannibals. They're cannibals because they're eating somebody's flesh and drinking his blood, communion, so that, these are the rumors that were circulating in Rome at that time. And there were other complaints that they had against the Christians. And Christians were about morality and purity. And that went against the Roman way. So now the, the Christians are the enemies of the state because they're pro-holiness, pro-purity, pro 
morality, and their government set them up as this is the enemy. These are the ones we're fighting against. Sounds pretty similar to where the day and age in which we live. And I'll tell you, we might be moving closer to that than what we realize. Not to scare anybody away, because Peter's writing to a group of people who are, they're facing local bits of persecution within the cities and communities in which they live, but it will be, it'll be, I'm going to use the term global, not too long. I mean, we're talking months after this letter would have been written and delivered to the believers there. The government was like, we can't have these Christians. They're ruining everything. They're messing everything up. The Christians are the enemy. It's fascinating. It's interesting how that works. Even within our wonderful nation, in God we trust kind of nation, who's the enemy? Well, Christians, if you're a Christian, then you are the enemy, okay? Which is crazy. We live in a topsy-turvy world. It's so weird. It's so upside down, but maybe it's exactly how God said it was going to be. And we don't lose heart. We don't fear that, or we don't get discouraged at all, because First Peter really just kind of applies to us as well. So you got, that's the time. That, that's what these people were dealing with. There's a lot of persecution that is happening, but they haven't even experienced the extent of it. Not too long after this letter gets delivered to them, somewhere around 6 million Christians are slaughtered, Okay. You don't hear much about that, do you? No. Why? Well, because Christians have always been the problem. So this is the reality that they were living in, and that was really at their doorstep. And so Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, delivers this letter in just the right time. So let's look at verse 1. I told you, it's going to be a lot of uh, background stuff. I want us to appreciate this letter, and it's just like, you know, we just want to just read through it and, okay, we can check that one off our list and all that good stuff. There's a lot of heart behind this letter. And I think a lot of it, a lot of it applies to where we're at today. I mean, it's, it's no, I don't think it's any kind of coincidence that this is the one that the Lord had for us after the book of Mark. Okay. And we, we subject everything to prayer here. Even I saw the, the group in the, the servanthood class a little bit earlier today, you know, I love to plan. I love planning out stuff. I plan stuff out year, year in advance, always, always. January comes around, calendar's done. It's done. Like, I got everything locked out, and then I got to erase a bunch of stuff as we go because it didn't work out. <laughs> That's how it is. But I even try to do that with books, and this year hasn't gone how I thought it was going to go, even just within books I was going to preach through. Because we got our plans, but, you know, we ultimately subject all those things to the Lord and say, Lord, you, you do what you want to do. And the fact that we even ended up in First Peter after Mark was not a part of my plan, not at all. So I'm trusting that the Lord has us going through this letter because he wants to speak to us from his word in a timely way. Verse 1, it says, this letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's who he was. An apostle is one who is sent, okay? Now, there were some, recommend, or there were some requirements for some of these apostles. They needed to have seen Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus, and that applies to Peter. That also did it technically apply to Paul as well. Uh, but they were ones who were sent. They were going to be used as ambassadors to get this ball rolling, so to speak, concerning the church. And Peter was one of those guys. He was one of the key guys of Jesus's 12 minus Judas, insert, let's say, Paul. And I know there was another guy in there, but Peter was one of those top guys. But this is from him, and he, he lets us know from the very beginning, I'm an apostle 
of Jesus Christ. This is who I am. And not that like his apostleship doesn't necessarily define him. He's a son of God. He's a child of God. That's, that's his identity. His identity is in Christ, but his calling is that of an apostle. This is what God has called him to do. And I would, I would wonder if you were to write a letter, yes, you still should write letters physically. That's a good practice. You're like, why? We have computers. Write letters, okay? And if you were to write a letter in your greeting, how would you identify yourself to maybe people you've never met before? How would, you, how would you identify yourself? This letter is from James, a blank. Well, what is that? Well, I'm a pastor. I'm a father to four kids. I'm a foster dad to a handful of other kids. I'm a husband of 21 years to my wife. I'm a son. I'm one of four kids to my mom, the only son to my dad. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a bond servant. I'm a slave by choice to Jesus. That's who I am. Now, he has a calling for my life. I'm a pastor. That's, that's, that's who I, I mean, that's what he's called me to do. But that doesn't define all of who I am. I don't find my identity in my calling, so to speak. It's, my identity is in Christ. So that my, my vocation and, and all that stuff can change. And my world is not rocked by that because I'm in Christ. That's who I am. I'm a Christ follower. That's who I am. But what would, what would yours be? You can't use Christ follower, because I just used that. So uh, you can't use that. No, I'm just kidding. It applies to you. Okay, I get it. No, but if you were to write a letter to strangers, how would you identify yourself? Have you ever thought about that? Maybe a good homework lesson for you. Go write a letter to no one in particular. Just a good practice. Get a sheet of paper and a pen and write out, this letter is from fill in the blank, and this is, this is my calling. Yes, you're, if you're a Christ follower, then you're a child of God. Settled. We get that, okay? That's fine. What has he called you to do? Can you fill in that blank? And if you can't fill in that blank, don't be too discouraged. We want to solve that. Let's figure out how to solve that. Let's find out what your giftings are. Let's figure out where, what, what is that calling that he has on you? I know my wife would, would um, concerning her, her calling, she would put in Nellie. This letter is from Nellie, a foster mom to babies. That's her calling. She does other things, but she knows, like, that's, that's my deal. What's your deal? What's your thing? Peter's like, I'm an apostle. I'm sent by God. I'm commissioned by God to do this thing. And I love it. It's just a simple sentence. And it's straight to the point. And when you know that, man, there's, there's, a, there's a certain amount of confidence that comes from understanding, no, this is what he's made me for. The confusion's gone. The fogginess is gone. And you're like, no, I'm going to stand on this. This is what he's called me to do. Peter knew it. It's an apostle, one who's been sent. And now verse 2, just concerning his, his audience, who he's writing to. It's, it's different churches. Okay, It's not one specific person. It's different churches. I'm writing to God's chosen people or the elect. God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and uh, Bithynia, I think is how you say that. Um, I was practicing that one last night, and I already bombed on it. Um, that might be close. Anyways, 
So he's sending this letter to be circulated in these towns, these cities found in, um, found in Asia Minor, which we would know in modern day as, as Turkey, okay? So he's sending this out to all these churches, and he's like, you are God's chosen people. You're his elect. He picked you. Why would he need to? Well, Peter, you're not doing me any favors by starting off with such a major theological thing, okay? That's why I can't even teach through the first 12 verses, because I'm like, oh, I can't get past this term. Why would you go there? Because they needed to be reminded that God chose them. When you're going through difficult times, you need to know first and foremost that God has picked you. He has chosen you. Wait, I thought I picked him. Maybe. I don't know. He knows from the, he's God, he's omniscient. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows everybody who's going to receive this free gift of salvation. I have no problems with this theologically at all. I don't understand it, but I just trust like, oh, God, okay. I'm not going to understand everything. I'm just glad I'm in. I'm glad I'm in. And I agree with Charles Spurgeon on this. I was listening to Skip Heitzig yesterday, not on this passage at all, but he quoted Charles Spurgeon who said, I believe that God has, before time ever existed, he knew who all were going to be his chosen ones. He knew who was going to receive him and all that good stuff. The problem is, is that he didn't label them for us. He's like, so I get to share the gospel with everybody because I don't know. And that's exactly where we function today. Does God know who all is going to get saved? Of course he does. If he didn't, then I have problems with him. Then he's not God. But he is God and he knows. Do people, what about personal choice and decision? Yes. Yes, there's that too. I agree with that too. All I go back to is, and I don't want to get too simplistic with this stuff. I know that's probably sometimes my problem. There's a great commission to be fulfilled. Go into all the nations. Go to everybody. Make disciples, which means you have to evangelize them as well. You have to share the gospel because you can't have disciples if you don't have Christ's followers, which means you got to share the gospel. Well, then how do we know who to share with? Share with everybody. But what if they're already saved? Okay, that's not your problem. That's not my problem. Number one, we, you and I don't save anybody. It's the Holy Spirit's work. So I, look, I went to Bible college. I barely got saved right before Bible college. Like I'm less than a month I got saved before I went to Bible college. And I show up on this campus, and people are talking about this stuff. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, you know, it's, it's Arminianism, and it's Calvinism, and it's this and that, and this and that. I'm like, look, I'm just glad I'm in. I don't, I'm sure he knew before the foundations of the world that, I, that when I was 19 that there would be a day where I surrendered to him. And I had to own up to the fact that I was a sinner and that I needed a savior. And I did that. But he's like, yeah, I already knew you were going to do that. I'm like, okay, cool. Sweet, what do you want me to do? Go. That's what I want you to do. Don't get hung up on all this stuff. There's work to be done. The sad reality is like within our churches, we just want to like fire shots at each other about theological things. And these are important theological things. But if they're distracting us from the mission, then what are we doing? Who's winning in that scenario? Big deal. You understand Calvinism. Cool. Awesome. You understand Arminianism. Sweet. Is that saving anybody? Are you getting the gospel out to anybody? That's what we're called to do. So if you're like, well, I, I'm just very pro-Arminianist. I'm very pro Okay, fine. Go share the gospel with people. I don't think I need to because, you know, God's already saved them all. Okay, I don't know what to say to you then. 
Make disciples then. I don't know. Like, then if God knows, then go figure out who is saved and then make disciples. We just, I don't know why we get so caught up on some of this stuff. And, it, and here's Peter just writing the stuff. He's like, yeah, you're the elect. Peter, can you elaborate more on that? He's like, I don't need to. I don't need to. You're suffering. What you need to be reminded of is the fact that he has chosen you. And if he has chosen you, then you exist at this moment in time for this reason, and he will get you through whatever it is that he has chosen you to walk through. That's what you need to remember. That's what we need to remember. No matter how difficult or dark the days get, you need to hold fast to the fact that he picked you for this time, for this moment. And you can worry about your responsibility in the whole deal when you get to heaven, and you can talk to Jesus about it, and you're like, how much of it was my responsibility? And he's like, and he can explain it all way better than I'll ever be able to, okay? Right now, though, what's going to help us the most is remembering he has picked you. He wanted you. He wanted you. Isn't that good to know? That the creator of all the universe wanted you specifically. He wanted you. He wanted you to be forever with him. That's refreshing to the soul. If you feel like your life has no value, then you need to hear that message again. You need to receive that. He wants you. He values you. He sent his one and only son to die on the cross for you. He didn't need any of us. What we see throughout this, even this first part, I mean, the Trinity is all through this thing, the doctrine of the Trinity. God had this perfect communion, God the Father, God the Son, who is Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit, perfect communion. And the last thing that they needed was a bunch of knuckleheads rebelling against them all the time. And God's like, let's make some people. Let's make this world. Let's make a universe. Let's do all this stuff. And then let's put them on this planet to manage this thing. Oh, yeah, they're going to blow it really quickly. But we'll step in and rescue them. He didn't need us, but he wants us. It's amazing. When you look at God through that lens, that changes things. He, says the, he goes on to say, verse 2, that God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. And his spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, has made you holy or sanctified. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and then God the Son, Jesus, all like right in verse 2. And now you understand like there's no, yeah, I mean, I could spend a whole nother service just on verse 2. But here's what you need to understand. He loves you. He's chosen you. He has picked you. He knew you, and he chose you long ago. He knew what he was getting when he got you. If you're his, you have to surrender. You have to receive that free gift of salvation. He will not force it upon you. But he knew what he was getting when he got us. While we were his enemies, Christ died for us. None of us were ever good enough. None of us were ever going to be good enough. We were born as sinners, and our nature as we grew older certainly reflected that. If you have went through the teenage years, and all of you have, and some of you are there now and are maybe approaching it, that sinner comes out pretty quickly, right? <laughs> but he's loved us. 
He's selected us. He's chosen us. I'll use this one last little illustration here. I remember John Corson saying this. And look, if this is a good illustration or not, I don't know. This helped me out, though. But uh, at the beginning of it all, what, this is how John Corson illustrated this whole thing. At the beginning of all, he's got the, the book of life. And everybody's name's written in this book of life. Okay. Oh, no. Does that mean every, it's universalism? No, it's not universalism. Okay. Hold on. All right. And then this is how John Corson had communicated this truth. He's like, then as individuals maybe rejected him, name gets erased from the book of life kind of a thing. And when he said that, this just kind of helped me to frame out this thing of like, wait a minute, chosen from the beginning and all this stuff. And so that, that's always helped me. If that helps you out, if you're like totally against that, then oh, write me an email. Um, that's fine. My name's Joe Regini. I'm just kidding. He's back there. Yeah, no. Um, but that, the way he framed it out helped me. It's like, okay, and again, you can't be dogmatic on that type of stuff, but what if all names were written in there, and as people had this choice to make, and they reject Jesus, okay, your name's erased out of that thing. I don't know. That just kind of helps me out with that. But again, what I hold fast to is this. He chose me. And why he chose me, continually to this day, 20 plus years of walking with him, blows my mind. I don't get it. I don't understand it. It's hard for me to understand, to comprehend, why me? Why? And may I carry that with me throughout the rest of my life. He, he loves us. He cares for us. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not the best. He's like, I'm not, that's not what I'm looking for. Chose you long ago. His spirit, the Holy Spirit has made you holy. Your standing in Christ is sanctified. Now there is technically a process of sanctification. It's a journey. But, but the way God sees you, sanctified, sanctified, covered in his son's blood. He sees, he sees the end product, which is amazing because I, you know, you just live in the day in and the day out. But God sees the end product, and that's why he would call you his pomia, right? His work of art. He sees the finished product already. And you're like, I'm not a work of art. And he's like, I know, but I see what you're going to be. That's been made a reality because of the Holy Spirit. So yes, you are on a journey of sanctification, but in God's looking down on you, covered in his son's blood, you are sanctified. You are holy. Now with that, live a holy life, separate, distinct, okay? It says, as a result, you have obeyed him and you've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And that's, that happened on the cross at Calvary. Jesus died on the cross for our sins and it's his blood that washed away our sins. The blood of a perfect, holy sacrifice made for a bunch of sinners. So this is who you are in Christ you are chosen, you're sanctified, you're clean. That's who you are as a child of God. Now live that way. Live that way. May your lifestyle and your decisions reflect what is true about you if you're a Christ follower. And he lends the greeting with this. May God give you more and more grace and peace. And I say, amen, more and more, please, okay? And the grace and the peace, those are the twins of almost everyone's greetings. You can't have peace with God until you experience the grace of God. It's grace, then it's peace. Hope to 
If you're at all familiar with the book of Job, then you can easily see how the book of 1 Peter ties into Job's experience of suffering. It doesn't seem fair, does it? You might ask, why aren't the unrighteous the ones that experience suffering and hardship? Why are those that want to follow God with all their hearts the ones that face trials? The truth is, it doesn't make sense to anyone who doesn't know God. But by knowing Him, you're willing to endure hard things, trusting that there's good ahead. In 1 Peter 3.15, Peter states, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you, with meekness and fear. So the next time you have an opportunity to share your testimony, make sure you include the fact that yes, you go through trials, but it's God working in and through you that gives you and others hope for the future. You've been listening to Bread for the Broken as we go through the book of 1 Peter. Bread for the Broken is a ministry out of Calvary Galveston in Galveston, Texas. For those of you in the area, we would love to see you this Sunday. We meet every Sunday at 10 in the morning and every Thursday at 7 in the evening. We like to keep faith simple and uncomplicated. So if you're looking for that laid-back atmosphere, you'll be right at home with us. To find out more, head on over to breadforthebroken.com. We're so glad that you decided to spend your day with us. And we look forward to the next edition with you in the book of 1 Peter, here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.